So you are listening to Recovery Matters. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Pedro and I am in recovery. We are going to open this discussion with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. For the sake of anonymity, and keeping our respective traditions, we are not going to discuss affiliation with 12-step programs by name or offer our full names at all during this broadcast. What we will do is offer you insight into the practical application of principles that helped us to arrive at the realization that the spiritual life was the key to freedom from the bondage of self. We may often quote literature that is connected to recovery programs of which we make no claims of membership or affiliation in any way. This group's primary purpose is to carry the message to anybody that still suffers. There is an easier, softer way, and it begins here, today. I am joined by a few friends. Let's give them a moment to introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict, and I'm very glad to be here. I'm Don. I'm a grateful alcoholic, and I am also very glad to be here. And uh, I'm Doug, and I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, and I'm very grateful to be here and, and bring up tonight's topic. What I'd, what I'd like to talk about and, and hear experience, strength, and hope on from you guys is um, the spiritual connection to forgiveness in recovery. I've done, I've done a lot of reading about this. I've listened to a lot of people talk about it. Um, I think that the single greatest resource that I found on it was a book written a long time ago by Emmett Fox called Sermon on the Mount. And in there, he he breaks down the Lord's Prayer, and especially under, I, I believe it's on page 136 in that book. He talks line by line about the Lord's Prayer, and, and he describes it as a turning point where he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others and goes into great detail about the, the spiritual connection. But what it comes right down to for me is, I can't receive forgiveness from God of my understanding until I'm able to you know, wholly forgive all the other people um, or institutions or things in my life that have, that have caused me pain um, until I'm able to look at those. And it gives, it gives literally detailed instructions on how how to go about this, to set myself free from the spiritual chains that, um, that keep me imprisoned by holding others accountable for, for things that I perceive as being hurt. And I've done the scientific practice of this and, uh, and seen the results. I mean, it's almost, almost miraculous sometimes how, uh, how my perception and my way of life changes. The minute that I'm to be able to identify that I am holding somebody accountable for something and then and then allow them to go free and myself get freed in the process. And I'm sure you guys have other experience um, that might be helpful that you would want to bring up. It's, a, it's interesting that you brought that up because I was just, while I was waiting for this podcast, I was uh, reading the four steps because I'm going to be doing that with somebody pretty soon. Basically before they even start talking about that stuff, they talk about that, uh, you know, we're supposed to write down the people, the places and the institutions and all those type of people that irritate us. And that's pretty much what the fourth step is about, is like what we're all irritated about, you know. 
when when we're harboring like resentments and anger and stuff like that that's like anger is a terrible emotion to feel you know like we don't even realize it because you don't even see anger when you're in it you don't even realize that you're in it you just like you just very 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 uncomfortable most of the time and it's hard to see it when you're in it and you got to calm down before you can actually see it for a second so you have to calm yourself down first and then you can actually free yourself from the actual pain of anger anger is one of the most painful things that there really is to live through if i'm thinking about all these things that people have done and i and i really love the 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 words real or imagined when it talks mm-hmm. about these harms people have done for us it doesn't matter whether it's real or imagined we're doing damage to ourselves by living in anger i know that i've had plenty of both real and imagined um, you know in that situation but I do believe it works for both Don what do you think you know I was just thinking when you brought up the uh, the book it's been years and years since I've even thought about it it's a question that goes around in me is forgiveness mine to give you know and what I look at most uh, more than anything is is really gut level acceptance and that brings me to empathy um, compassion and the belief that if I truly know my own sins, then I have no real reason to hold anybody else accountable for those. You know, so it's been a thing that I've gone back and forth on. If I truly understand myself, then I really have no reason to forgive you because I'm having empathy and compassion for you because I understand the pain of life as it is. And I don't believe that people truly harm other people because they want to. I believe it's due to certain factors in life. And um, for me, it was uh, trying to escape suffering. You know, so I I try to have compassion more than I worry about forgiveness and empathy. And I'm I'm probably a little bit off uh, off the subject, but that's just where I'm at in life today. I can relate to that. And in fact, it reminds me of a quote from from Tai Nhat Hanh. He said that, if a man upsets you, he offends you and makes you angry and hurts you, that he's not trying to hurt you. He's just suffering so much that he needs to share it with someone else. And that that perspective was a way to lead to right action and true compassion. Well, you know, um, this is Doug again. And I, I like what Don said. I like what Pedro said and Kevin as well. But... And it's far from the only approach. I mean, what they talk about in the Sermon on the Mount is specific to what's called scientific Christianity, which is not to be confused with a lot of a lot of uh, religion. It's more practice of the principles taught in Christianity. And and one of the things, one of the explanations that I like in there is the explanation of bondage, where it speaks of it speaks of you can't have a prisoner without having a captor and he uses a different word for it um but it's but in in setting it's if you if the prisoner is set free then the the captor or the holder is also set free at the same time because it takes a commitment to keep someone in bondage as much as it does you know you you have to it's a two party approach to where by me forgiving others, I'm actually setting myself free from the act of holding them prisoner. And that's why it works best 
when you can, if you're if you're holding on to even the smallest individual resentment, you're still committed. You're still wasting time and energy on holding a captive. That really, if you're able to to empty the jail, then you can go do whatever you want to do, so to speak. And I just found that to be uh, an interesting way of looking at it. But it's it's the idea of empathy. I think is a whole other avenue of understanding where someone's coming from and, and what Pedro mentioned about realizing that people hurt me because they're suffering so much that they don't have any any place else to put it. Those are all interesting interesting ways of looking at it, which is why why I wanted to bring it up because I knew I would get some, some different feedback and I'm so glad to hear that. One of, one of the first times I ever was, I was early in the program and I was thinking, well, do I really have to forgive people? And I had this uh, Native American Indian woman that was, she had scars on her face and everything from, because she was, her ex-husband had dragged her out into a field in the rain and just pounded her in the face with a hammer. So she had scars all over her face and everything like, and I said, do you really have to forgive everybody? And she, she grabbed me by the face and said, yes, you do. You, you will drink if you don't and she and I really wow. believed her because like and then then after the meeting she invited me over to her house and there's the ex-husband right came knocking on the door and they're friends now you know and it's just like like so I I go well I guess this can be done you know you can forgive people and he, and you know what the hardest thing for me to figure forgive is I hate it when people act like me that's the thing that I have the hardest time to forgive is because there's always usually something inside of me that I've done that I haven't forgiven in myself that I point out to other people out there and I and I see you know I get angry at other people for doing stuff that I may never have forgiven myself for doing that at one point I remember I had a sponsor early in recovery and he was still a very sick person, so a lot of the things he said are really funny. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he said, well, you, you got to forgive him. I said, I can't do that, you know. And then they said, well, can you at least pray for him? And I said, no way. And he said, how about if you pray for him to go to heaven? He at least deserves to go to heaven. And I said, I can't do that. I'm so angry with, with this person. And he said, well, how about if you pray for him to go to heaven today? <laughs> and I thought, uh, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out for you? I mean, eventually it was. Eventually, it became a totally different ballgame. Uh, eventually, I based my concept of forgiveness more on the Serenity Prayer, and that is that for a long time I wouldn't accept the things I couldn't change. In fact, I used most of my energy throughout a day trying to force things that I had absolutely no control over, and it took me. I don't know, two or three years of doing that, of banging my head against a brick wall to realize that there was an open door right next to me in the same wall. And and so, and I started to use that prayer as a tool to make progress in my life, you know, where, okay, if I can't change this thing, I'll just let it go. I'm not even going to work on that. I'm going to work on this thing over here that I can change. And as I started to do that, life just became easy. 
I mean, I had more, I, ha- I was happier. Uh, things went my way more often. I had more money and there was no reason or it, it would have been insane to do it any other way. And then all of a sudden when I could see that forgiveness was more beneficial to me than it was to the person that I was angry with, it was easy to forgive everyone. In fact, I, I rarely would hold on to anything for more than a day or so. One of the things that I um, was always I always say people had always talked about forgiveness, 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 but I never really know actually how to do that, how to go about actually making that happen in myself. And like the old timers, they say if if you had somebody, you walked into a meeting, there's somebody you hated, they made you sit next to that person. You know, that that's the thing that they used <laughs> to do. And I had a sponsor that said, if you hate somebody, give them money. You know, and I thought, well, that's the most insane thing I ever heard in my life. But actually, it's not because, like, what it does is, like, it changes the direction of what you're doing with that person. And it's the same way, like, when you're praying for somebody, you're no, there's no longer just you and the clown that did this to me. You're basically, it's you, God, and the person in front of you. And that changes the whole dynamic of how you actually look at things. And you're not looking at things from your own perspective. Now there's something that's interceding, and it's not just you and the and the person that did you harm. It's you and and um, a higher power involved. And just that that little shift is like like walking in the opposite direction of of you know the hate that you have towards that person or whatever you're experiencing. Oh, I, you know I, I do like what was just said about there are it's a bigger picture than just me and the individual. I remember um, after I came back after my uh, my relapse, right there sitting in a, a certain meeting was the man that I resented. And I did have to listen to every single thing he said, because I do remember being told that. And you know, when I was listening to him, it was, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Everything that he said, I was, yeah, but. And you know what? Back to the acceptance part. I didn't need to forgive him. I needed to accept, and I needed to wish him well. And, you know, they say you pray for a person. You know, not only did I pray for his well-being, um, because I do believe it was a soul sickness, but I also prayed that he be well and that he um, be healed so he did not harm anybody else. You know, so it goes much farther than just what I wish for myself, what I wish for that individual. I try to look at the big picture and understand that I need to have that uh, the empathy, the compassion, and the desire for um, the people that I have some sort of judgment, anger towards, or whatever emotion in the moment that I have. I really wish them to be well going forward for for everything and for everybody involved. It is much more than just me and my hurt you know i wish well for all the people so that the hurt doesn't isn't caused to somebody else perceived or real you know so it's a much bigger picture than just myself it's funny it's funny you say that don because i know the logical intelligent part of me knows that if i'm harboring a resentment for somebody that technically i'm standing in judgment of that person and i'm not accepting of of who they are and what they're doing and I know that that lack of acceptance is going to cause me to not be at peace, which is, is the ultimate goal. I mean, Chris was or, uh, he was talking about things being going easier. To me, nothing, when, when I'm at peace, 
things things go easy. It's not a lot of work. And if I'm if I'm standing in judgment of someone and holding on to that resentment and not forgiving them and not accepting them, that that is putting me in that role of the cap, and it robs my energy from the other things that I could be doing. You know, there's there's things that I could be thinking about that could be moving my life forward in a positive way. But if I'm if I'm spun out in that mode, it it just it just saps everything out of me. And it's what's nice about it is if I'm communicating regularly with people that will hold me accountable to to that kind of thinking and say, Well, who are you to who are you to judge this person? Why are you resentful? How come you haven't accepted it? Though that's what I need to continue to do. That's why recovery is, is such a lifelong proposition. Because if I'm left to my own devices, I'll forget about this stuff. I won't think about it if it's not in the front of my mind and I'm gonna end up sliding backwards without even realizing that I'm I'm slipping. You know what I mean? And and then ultimately I'll end up with a drink in my hand if I if I continue that. But it's it's just a shame not to be in a in a good spiritual place. I mean where where things are coming easy. That's where it starts. One of the things that I, I, the Dalai Lama talks a lot about compassion as being one of the most important things that can be an understanding. And a lot of times I'll look at somebody that's done some harm to me and stuff and I think, well, they should have known better than that. Or they, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it that way and everything. But actually, that's all they really know how to do at that point in their life or whatever they're saying. And I believe karma is like an instant type of thing, and, and it happens to people. There is a, a law of karma, you know, whatever goes around comes around, and those people are going to suffer whether I'm part of that, and they don't need me to jump in there and, and try to help karma do its job. It's automatically happening. A lot of people, they do stuff to people. They feel bad about it. They have to go do more bad stuff to cover up the bad feelings about what they just did. And they're already experiencing negativity for whatever they've done. Karma will take care of all that stuff. I don't have to go, you know, and it'd be it'd be a long day if I had to go beat up everybody who had uh, deserved it. You know, I, it'd be, I could spend my whole life going around, you know, trying to make people suffer that did wrong to me. But what a waste of a lifetime that actually would be. Oh, it's crazy. I think, too, I was really relating to what Doug said and, and what Kevin said about, about karma. And it's funny that when you look at the, the hermetic principles, there's no law of karma. And, in fact, that law is consumed by the law of cause and effect and polarity. When I was thinking about, you know, we say in these different recovery programs, having a resentment is like drinking poison to kill the other person. And... I don't think we realize how literal that is. I mean, how what I say and how I feel when I say it literally creates the world I live in. So harboring resentments, especially discussing resentments with other people out loud as if they're justified, only damages myself. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think it needs to be pointed out that it's a sin against you and the other person if you allow somebody to hurt you. You know, like that, turn the other cheek. It doesn't mean go back there next week and so that you can get slapped again. You stay away from that person, you know, you don't, or you do what you got to do to take care of yourself because it is a sin to allow somebody else to hurt you just as much as it is a sin for you to hurt somebody else. Well, there's a reason in the big book it says that resentment is the number one offender. 
And I mean, it, it is truly my human nature and my alcoholic nature allows me to be reoffended on a regular basis. And what I do with it depends on on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. You know, if I'm if I'm inventorying it and I'm dealing with it and I'm praying for that person and getting rid of it, then I stand a chance. But I'm not so foolish as to think that I've evolved enough spiritually to where I'm not gonna I'm gonna somehow magically not get those resentments anymore. I have to I have to pray my way out of them. I have to acknowledge them, accept them, and and treat them in a way that gets me over them because I haven't found anything yet. And maybe maybe I've got some growing to do to find it, to find a way to not get them to um, begin with. Just one I mean, thought that came to mind, though. Um, you know, I was told a long time ago that you know resentments are one thing, anger is another. All the negative emotions uh, will come and go, and that is not necessarily going to get me drunk or using again. Justification of those things will if if i am not willing to accept yeah you know if i'm not willing to accept <laughs> I've myself heard that. i've heard that and if i'm willing to stand in judgment <laughs> thinking that i could never do that then i truly don't know myself and i'm truly giving myself uh permission to do it but i'm also granting myself permission. the uh I, i'm giving myself the the knowledge that i think i can do better and that i am here solely because of what I have done. You know, I've been pushed around, pushed around, led around. Um, all different forces have, you know, put me to this position today. Very few of them I have had control over. So if I think that I'm above um, doing something that somebody has done to me or something that somebody has done to somebody else, then I, I, I don't think I truly know how I came to be here. Or I'm attributing qualities to myself that I do not possess. That's why, you know, when I look at it, I really need to have empathy for that person because a snap of the finger, I could be him. And I need to not attribute those qualities to myself and think I am above that because I am not. You know, that person that I resented could very well have been me if a few things had happened different in my life. You know, so and I need to accept that and I need to, to go on from that. But if I'm justifying it thinking, well, I would never have done that. I don't know how they could do it. I need to take a, a better look back at my life and see how I came to do some of the stuff that I did. I erased a lot of moral lines hmm. in my, my drinking career. I said, I'm never going to do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, I need, in order to get a drink, I had to do that. So I erased the moral line and I, I turn into anything. I could, you know, who knows what I could do because I was, my morals were de digressing and digressing and digressing. I could have, and if I didn't stop drinking and, and find solution to my problems I could I, I'm capable of murder I'm capable of rape I'm capable of all those things because my my morals deteriorated and they would have continued to deteriorate so I really don't have a place to judge somebody else for doing something you know that I could like Don said I could end up doing that exact same thing I think too Doug when you talk about is there a way to stop feeling these things and it reminded me of the first things that people always ask me when they ask for meditation instruction. They say, well, I can't stop my mind and I can't stop from being angry. I can't stop my emotions. And the reality is, is that thoughts and feelings are like a stream and you can't stop the water from moving into a stream, right? But there's certainly 
the trick is to hang on to the thoughts and feelings that are beneficial to you. If I hang on to anger all day long, that's going to be bad for me. It's going to raise my blood pressure. It's going to create cortisol in my system that contributes to anxiety and nervous breakdown and episodes of not being able to think, right? Because when you're angry, your stomach tightens, blood flows more to muscles, so you lose your intellectual capacity. So as you can see, as you can see there's useful there is something useful for anger. If someone was attacking me, I would hope to be able to hang on to my anger and hang on to my thoughts about throwing a punch and taking a punch. But as soon as the fight's over, there's no reason to hang on to those feelings anymore. They're not serving me anymore. Well, one of the things that I've realized is like I live most of my life in a in a that fight or flight mode, you know. I've I've lived most of my life in self-defense. And I can't actually open up and see so what somebody else is because it's it's like when I'm defending myself, I can't hear what somebody's saying and I can't see somebody else's position. And I swear to God, half of my life my brain's thinking I'm walking around the street defending everything I'm doing most of the time in my head. And I I my sponsor told me stop arguing with people that aren't in the room with you anymore. Which is a really good thing to do, you know, because I, I'd, I'd be in the shower and arguing with my boss and all that. And just a runaway mind is a terrible thing to have, you know. And, and pause when agitated or doubtful are the most important words in the entire big book. Anytime I'm agitated or doubtful, I need to slow it down. I need to slow down my mind. I need to get into a place where I can actually see, and the word resentment actually means to resent over and over and over again. And that's what I do a lot, is something will happen to me and then I just don't move on to the next thing. I just keep feeling over and over and over again these same things that happen. And I go through in my mind trying to defend myself, justify, you know, how could they do this to me? And there's, there's something to be said for self-pity too, you know, because we get something out of that. And I've seen I've seen a lot of families growing up where they they they'll get in an argument and then they go and drag everybody else into the family into the argument, you know, because you get something out of that, you know, being the victim and of something. You, there's something to be said when you're a victim, you know, you don't have a next move that you have to take. But if you're not a victim and you're just some some somebody that's you know, okay, this happened, I'm gonna move on from here, then there's there's a responsibility to that there's an action required by you and there's a line in the big book that says anytime we are disturbed no matter what it is it, there's it's a spiritual principle that there's something wrong with us because we don't let things go and that's something that takes practice yeah it takes long long-term practice for sure and and which goes back to what i was saying about the idea that i would love to think that i could practice spirituality simply by you know being disciplined enough to read the right books do the right meditations and live with myself and god in this world and be able to accomplish it that way but i found that from a you know from a strictly alcoholic drug addict and recovery standpoint if i don't make the human connection if I'm not surrounding myself or at least interacting on a semi-regular basis with people that are like-minded and, and that are reminding me of these things, 
that left to my own left to my own thinking, I lacked the discipline, I lacked the motivation, and I lacked the inspiration to do these things. So I mean, it's continually for me. It's you know, twelve-step re- recovery program. It's the, the rooms of it's the rooms of AA, and the close-mouth friends and, and people that I've met and, and learned from along the way that help me to stay wired correctly because otherwise it's gonna it's gonna fall off pretty quickly I think uh, and I don't know if that applies to any of you guys or not uh, yeah I mean it applies to me and I I used to stay pretty active in the in the recovery community and then you know since the shutdown though I've developed an online community where um, I have access to that constantly and it's always in my pocket all i have to do is open up my phone and open up a chat window and talk to a like-minded individual that has a daily practice and it reminds me and when when i might be slacking or not feeling up to it then the texts are rolling in for people asking about their practice or wanting me to comment on an experience that they're having and um boy that's really probably saved my life because i know there's a lot of people going back out during this pandemic and and it hasn't been a it hasn't been a draw for me i don't feel isolated or alone i i've been able to stay connected well i mean being asked to be a part of this podcast and the and the nature of our discussions has been a godsend for me as well during this pandemic because i'm i'm able to to have that human connection and also feel that what we're doing here, you know, potentially could help somebody that's that's in the, you know, that the, the spiritual forces aligned to put them in the right place at the right time to happen to pull this thing up and maybe hear what they need to hear. And we're just we're just doing what we do. We're just talking about it. I think too. I I really like what what Kevin was talking about with uh, don't keep arguing with people that are no longer in the room. And um, I know that some of these occult initiate societies, they talked about three elements being necessary for consciousness to be present. That there's a theory that we're not conscious by nature, that we are unconscious. And that in order for consciousness to be present, there needs to be three ingredients, silence, contemplation, and vision. And I think that for for me personally, and, and for most most of us, that contemplation is all we ever have. I mean, I do one dumb thing that embarrasses me and I'll contemplate about that for two days. I've done a lot more things in two days, but I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> I do I do that too. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I did, um, having a regular practice though, is something like, uh, I always, I don't have to have that argument about whether I forgive anybody or not, because I know I already have to do that. Because if I don't, I know I'm gonna drink or use again so I don't have to have that argument about whether to forgive somebody or not I just have to do it and and just not having that argument is half of the battle right there you know just knowing that you're going to have to forgive this person whether you like it or not just throws a lot of the the mental mental stuff going on in your head gets rid of a lot of that and I can move to forgiveness a lot quicker knowing that I need to do this this is part of my spiritual practice that I do this. I find a lot of times with things, anger and um, and resentment and, and struggling to forgive that 
really that's where the mindfulness comes in and that that's where maybe a mantra comes in because boy if i really want to open my mouth i need to be doing some chanting and open you know when i open my mouth i know what i'm going to say and uh i remember i'm going to refer to taina han again because he his some of his stuff has been what's helped me process my anger and he says that um that you you sit with your anger like a loving sister sits with her angry brother that meant a lot to me you know <laughs> that you just sit quietly and lovingly with yourself and in fact you know the ones i miss the most that you know you said well i still get these resentments you know who mm-hmm. i have the hardest time forgiving is myself amen part of my problem with that is what i was saying earlier is uh, is i really think is still to this day that i should have been able to do different you know i i just guard all the inventories all the things that i've learned over the years um sometimes and man i should have done that different you know bottom line is if i could have i would have i had not experienced the suffering enough i had not experienced the growth i had not experienced something at that point in my life to make that circumstance different you know so if i and if i accept that then you know i can go on and i can try to put myself in a good frame of mind where i think you were talking about it earlier about you know hanging on to the good thought all right I, this is what happened i need to understand it i need to accept it and i need to move on and i need to take the lesson with me but it is still a big part of my uh, uh not a big part i guess but a part of my life where i really think that oh no i should have done that different and i attribute to myself the ability at that time to have done it and you know what i didn't have the ability at that time um I can work towards putting myself in position to have that ability if that situation arises again but I need to let go of the negativity and I need to let go of the uh you know they talk about beating yourself up with a hammer I I need to really accept that that's nothing more than fear stepping in and saying I really don't want to look at the situation I'm going to condemn myself um or I'm going to condemn the other person I am in no way shape or form going to seek peace because that means I have to look at the reality of it and look at uh my inabilities. So if if I'm doing all these negative things and not forgiving and not accepting, it's usually avoiding the situation for what it is. And um, you know, it's something that I continually need to work on. I I have a tendency of judging people for the the 2 seconds that I know them and not realizing that it took them a whole lifetime of thoughts and ideas and experiences to get to that 2 seconds that I see them for. And they can be fantastic people their whole life, you know, save people from burning buildings, do all kinds of stuff like that. And they cut in front of me in line <laughs> and you know, I hate that person, you know. <laughs> like, you know, I I not able to to see beyond the moment that I'm in and realize that this is a person in front of me and the, that's one of the things when they when they uh train soldiers they give them you know names terrible names they call them they they have to dehumanize the enemy because it's impossible to shoot somebody that's a human being so it's really 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 hard to do that so they they dehumanize the enemy most of the time in order for you to be able to kill that person or whatever it is during war and so the more that we learn to you know recognize people as much more than the than the than the two seconds frame we have of them and what we're seeing and i i had a 
you know, I had to go through and do some work with my parents and stuff like that. One of the meditations that I used to work with was I'd have to sit down and try to try to take the parent that I was angry with at the moment or whatever it was and try to picture them as a as a three year old child playing. And that is something that it, it just kind of changes the way you look at people because you, you get a broader view of what those people actually are and and people experience traumas all the way through their lives and and if the if you can realize that people are you know most people are just we're like popping through a pinball machine you know we don't really have a, we get tiny little choices like what kind of socks we're going to wear in the morning but you know a lot of stuff just happens to us and a lot of stuff happens to a lot of people and it forms them into what they are and i need to be aware of that that's why I like what was said about earlier about slowing down, you know, pausing when agitated or doubtful. And agitated and doubtful covers a pretty good amount of the day um, in my head sometimes. And and pausing allows me to to operate in a space where I can do some of that stuff that Kevin was just mentioning, where I can consider that the guy that you know just cut me off in traffic is taking his dog to the vet um, or I can allow for other possibilities to make me you know react in a in a more spiritual manner towards people rather than my I call it my human side you know is to is to be quick to anger and judge and all that stuff but if I can pause and and think of that next thought you know the first thought I've been told before is always an alcoholic thought but if I can take the time to get to that second or third thought, that's that's more of a um, you know a sane spiritual person that understands that that we all are the same, you know, and and that we we need to be kind to one another because it's man, it certainly is. There's there's days when I can get up in the morning and go through the whole day and be in a great space, and then come home and and snap on my wife for no reason, you know, and I and and it can be other things can be just the opposite where I'm completely disgusted with everybody I come across all day long and then all of a sudden have a, a little peace and clarity and realize that I've been doing it wrong all day. But I, I'm more than capable of doing both. But the the results when I pause and and consider it is always better than when I go with my initial reaction um, versus versus you know, actually considering things. I know for me that most of my life has been spent either regretting the past or worrying about the future. And neither of those things really exist at all. That's all just a fantasy in my head. And um, I know that when I first started practicing Raja Yoga, you know, they say you take this slow breath in and then at the height of the breath, you, you pause for two or however many seconds you're going to pause holding your breath. And then you slowly let it out and you really experience that one breath. And then at these moments where you pause and there's no breathing and there's nothing and there's total stillness, that there's divinity in that moment. And boy, when I first really experienced one whole breath, I had lived more in that one breath than in five years previous to that. The five years previous to that one breath, I had only been living in my own mind. Real life had escaped me for the entire time. I, I understand that. That's wild. I've, I've experienced the same thing before. I know that to be true. 
I, I heard a uh, interesting little tidbit phrased in a way that I don't think I had heard it um, before this week. Um, the actor, a famous actor, I'll, I'll leave his name out of it, was speaking about celebrating a long time in sobriety. It was a very simple, simple message. But one of the things that he said in there that was so profound was that he said, just remember this, today is a tomorrow that I was so worried about yesterday. And it just, it struck me because, you know, we have a tendency not to live in the moment, which was, I think, what what Pedro was talking about with, with the breath. You know, we have such a tendency not to live in the moment. A less eloquent way of saying the same thing was, you know, if you've got one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, then you're urinating all over today and what a waste that is you know if we can if we can just appreciate what's right in front of us and remember to do that i think that it's a that it's a gift it's a blessing to to be able to keep that in mind and and even if it comes down to celebrating one breath at a time you know and appreciating what's involved in that i mean what what could be any better there's an old dale on saying that um you know She's a lady that lived with an alcoholic. She would wake her husband up and say, what kind of day am I going to have today? You know, and that's actually what we do when we give away our power to forgive people. So we get to decide that. I never heard that before. That's awesome. (laughs) No, I'm, uh, you know, Um, I... I do this thing. Uh, what about Don? You got anything? I've been doing to a lot of online Don? meetings and stuff, and there's always this moment of silence, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, we can't have this silence. We can't have this silence." And I, I enjoy it. You know, if I have something to say, I'll say it. But I, I truly enjoy just being in the moment. And what you were talking about the the breath that was shown to me like 20 years ago, I think. And I, and I still experience it today, and it's a wonderful feeling. We we used to do meetings, and and uh, the original meetings that uh, some people told me about in Ohio when I was doing some research on what the original AA groups were like. There was a couple of groups around there that all they really did was they they showed up, they said hello and everything, and then they just sat there for an hour, and that was the meeting, and that's what a lot of those original meetings were in some in the area of Ohio, Akron, Ohio. There was groups that just did that, and that was the only thing that they did do during their AA meetings. There's, there's power in silence, and I, I I like that too, you know. But there's always going to be somebody that's so uncomfortable with the silence that they always mm-hmm. bring up a topic or anything, you know. They'll. Well, I think sometimes just sitting there quietly and being a part of a whole, there's power in that because. If you're embracing it, it's not awkward silence. You know what I mean? I, my mind would go to the fact that everybody there is is there with a with a common desire to to not pick up a drink that day. So even if it's not being talked about, the energy is is still there. You know, I I enjoy listening to what others have to say, but I can I can get on board with with enjoying the silence of of being a part of something bigger the same way now now i wonder if i produce a one hour guided meditation and all i say at the beginning is sit in silence and then just an hour of silence 
if anyone will buy it. I don't think so. I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) They won't buy it twice. I know that. (laughs) Well, it's silent, so we can't tell you. How much much is it? Now, see, (laughs) you guys sound like the naysayers in the meeting about bottled water. Well, so I'm thinking we I'm thinking we close this up. Um, and I was going to have Doug. Would you like to say say the Lord's prayer at the end of this thing since you brought up the topic? Sure. I'd like to close uh, tonight's podcast with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen.